0: Good morning, Genesis. I got one response, really? Good morning, Genesis. Good morning. There we go. Now, uh, I'm going to say something real funny real quick. I know this is off topic, but um, in the first service, I introduced myself not as a pastor, uh, but as a church plant resident here at uh, Genesis. Um, And apparently, within the last 15 or 20 minutes, uh, Michael decided to promote me, so he wanted me to introduce myself. Good morning, guys. I am on staff here as one of the pastors here at Genesis. (laughs) You know, so I don't know if this is a good sign for the church, though. (laughs) Uh, But good morning, guys. You know, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been uh, five weeks or so, we've been, you know, embedded into this sermon series called Just For Now, right? Awesome series. Um, And one of the questions that was revolving around this entire series was that how will you use what God placed in your hands just for now? Right. It's about being good stewards of the things that he's blessed us with and how we're called to use that for him. Right. Because we know that these things are temporary of this world, but we're called to use that for his sake. So today we're finishing up that series of just for now. Okay, Last week, I did an awesome job on preaching about gifts. Right. The awesome and the unique gifts that God gives you and how you're called to use that and jump in. Right. So that question of jumping in was last week. This week we're talking about what do we need to do to get you to step up and step out. Today, we're going to be talking about missions, just for now. Missions, what's keeping us from stepping up and stepping out, right? Stepping up to the call of missions and stepping out into our community, right, as, as, as the living gospel. Now, if we were to go over two of the most popular verses in your mind that you can remember, or that people would, would re- reiterate over and over, right? One of those verses is obviously John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, I bet you somebody in this room probably has that tattoo on the arm on their back right now, right? John 3, 16, right? We love that verse, right? And another verse that we go over a lot to is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Let's actually read that. In Matthew 28, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age." Now, if we're going to talk about missions, there's absolutely no way we're going to talk about missions without even mentioning the, the, the Great Commission. This is the mission, right? And this is the reason why these two verses are really popular, right? We see that John 3.16, that verse, that shows exactly God's mission for us. He's saying, I'm going to send my son. My son's going to die so he can take your sin in order for you to receive that righteousness. So you can live, have that gift of eternal life. That's for us. That's probably one of the reasons why we like it so much, right? Because it's about us. Now, for Matthew's 28, it's the reverse, where it's not about us. It's about him. It's about spreading his name and his glory. So a lot of times we like to live in John 3.16 because, you know, we like to consume. Whatever we can take, we're going we're gonna to go for that. But Matthew's 28 is giving us instructions. That takes some work. Anything that takes work, we have a tendency of just pushing to the back burner, right? So as Kyle said last week, you know, we, we do a lot of inhaling. I take all that I possibly can. But today, we're really going to focus on that that exhaling, right? So what keeps us from stepping up and stepping out and partaking in this particular mission, right? In order for us to better understand that very question, I do what I always do. I ask a whole bunch of people just to see their response. What, especially as Christians, what keeps you from stepping up and stepping out and partaking in this mission? And the number one answer that I've gotten, right, was the fact that they didn't even know that the commission is for them. They didn't know that the commission, the Great Commission, was a mission for them. They would say things in their head like, "Oh, I'll leave that up to the pastors, or I'll leave it up to Michael and Kyle to do all the preaching, all the evangelism. I'll leave it up to the missionaries to go overseas and, and do all the work, all the hard stuff. I'll leave it to the people that's been gifted with preaching and speaking to spread that good news. I'll leave that up to them. But don't worry, because I support them from afar. You know, I'll, I'll put some money in the offering uh, a plate for missions. I'll pray for the pastors." That's how I partake in the mission. But that's not what God is calling you to do. He's not asking you to wait and sit idly while everybody else does the job. So the one thing we want to make clear right now from the get-go is that everybody may have a different calling. People are are blessed with different gifts. But we're all called and invited to the same mission of reconciliation. All of us. No Christ followers, is, is exempt from that. We're all called to the same thing. We're going to read John chapter 20, verses 21, one of my favorite verses, right? In John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He said this right after Jesus just died, right? He's resurrected. And at this point, he's proving to the disciples, hey, I'm alive. But guess what? I'm not alive to continue to do the work I was doing before I died. Just as the Father has called me, so I am sending you. Sending you Matter of fact, let's do something Believe it or not. I used to play basketball in high school. I why are you laughing? Is that hard to believe? (laughs) I played basketball in high school, right? I know that's hard to believe but that that was back in the days where when I was still able to tie my shoes without tipping over or hyperventilating So that was a long time ago. We had something in in basketball. We call heat check I played the point-card position, so every time, say for instance, somebody was on a roll, they just made a couple of threes or made some layups or whatever it is, and they're on a roll, they, they have all the momentum, I would automatically scream heat check on the floor. That, what that would mean is that I'm going to run the entire offense through them. They got the momentum, let's see if they can continue to score and ride this momentum so we can win this game. That's what heat check, cheek check means, right? So today, we're going to do the same thing. I'm not going to give you the ball and make you shoot any baskets or anything like that. But every time I scream, or I'm not going to scream either, sorry. Every time I say heat check, I want all of us to read that verse together. Because if there's a verse that I want you to remember while leaving here, it's going to be John chapter 20, verses 21. You guys are ready to do that with me? Heat check. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Amen. So, what keeps us from stepping up and stepping out? What keeps us from stepping up and stepping out? Is it because you feel inadequate? Is it because you feel unprepared or do you feel just ordinary? Like I don't feel like I'm the anointed to be able to go and do this mission, but guess what? God has plans for ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And The reason why we don't believe that a lot of times is because parts of us don't even believe that God partakes in that kind of transformation in our hearts. But God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So we can't sit idly waiting for the ideal opportunity to arise for us to do something, because if that's the case, we'd be waiting forever. We don't have that kind of time. This entire sermon series is about just for now. What are we doing for now for his glory? We don't have time to wait idly. Can you imagine how our community looked if we responded to the calling instead of responding to our own self-measured readiness? So if you're waiting to be prepared first and then to go, then we're all going to be waiting for a very long time. And guess what? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So today we want to marinate in the book of Nehemiah for a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah. We'll start in chapter 1. And let's keep our bookmarks there because we're probably going to be jumping in and out of Nehemiah throughout the entire um, sermon. Okay? Nehemiah 1. Let's give a little bit of background on Nehemiah. At this very point, this is post-Babylonian exile. So if you don't know what that means, is that there was a 70-year period when um, the Judeans were held captive in Babylon. After the, uh, Babylon has fallen to the Persian king, now they're finally allowed to go back home. The Judeans are finally allowed to go back into Judah. Now, at this very point where we start reading, we see that Nehemiah is, trying to, is getting a report of what's going on. Like, how are the exiles doing? How is Jerusalem looking? So we'll start there. We'll start in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3. It says, the remnant there in the province who have survived exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So he's getting a really bad report of what's going on in his community right now. And he responds with a sense of urgency that we'll read a little bit later on in verses 4. And Nehemiah himself is called to lead a team to go back to Jerusalem and build and rebuild a wall that has been completely destroyed by fire. And the crazy thing is, Nehemiah is not this, he's not a wall rebuilder. I don't even know if there's a, a, a name for that kind of work, right? He's not, a, he, you know what he did? He was a cupbearer. If you don't know what a cupbearer is, he literally sat next to the king and tasted and tested all the wine and all the food just to make sure that the food and the wine was not poisoned in protection of the king. That's all he did. So as ordinary during that time period that this job sounded like, Nehemiah, the ordinary man, was called to do extraordinary things. He led people back into Jerusalem to rebuild this wall. And guess who were rebuilding the walls? Not wall rebuilders, not stone people. We had perfumers. We had high priests. We had governors of provinces. We, we had tent makers. These are people have no idea how to build a wall but called to do so anyway. So if you ever feel, right, that it's not in your lane to respond to missions, just remember that any skill set is called upon for this mission. Nothing is exempt. The Great Commission is not selected just for a few people. The Great Commission is for the entirety of the church. That's our mission. So our role as everyday missionaries is to introduce people to Jesus, right? But not only that, actively take part in other people's journeys, Of being Christ-like. We have it written on our wall right in front of the kitchen out there in the open space. Take the time to read that. Helping all people walk with God. The only way that you'd be able to help all people walk with God is if you be the living example of what it looks like to walk with God. Helping all people walk with God. Heat check. Heat check. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So how will you use... The things that God has placed in your hands just for now for missions. What, how will you use that? Because you can't act like you don't have things that were given to you. And we spoke about this throughout the last four or five weeks. Another reason in which we have a hard time stepping, out in, uh, stepping up and stepping out into missions is that we really don't fully embrace the idea that the good news is good news. Good news. We're acting as if this is just regular news. The reason why we don't embrace God's mission is because a lot of times we have our own mission. If it's about me, I got to figure out what I can do in my life. I got to figure out how much I can consume, right? And we, don't, we, we totally forget that it's about God. So unless you learn how to give up on your own mission, then the, the, the news is not going to be good. Until we learn to let go of our own missions, then the good news is at the heart right, at the heart of God's mission will never seem that good. Because you can't have both. You can't have both. So the question to you, honestly, is the good news really good news? Like, I'll give you a quick story, right? I remember clear as day, I was waking up one morning, my wife came into the room, and she threw a pregnancy test right on my belly. I know, that's a weird scene, but... (laughs) That's the truth. There was a pregnancy test and definitely a belly. <laughs> it, she just told me we are pregnant with our second child. Best news in the world. I immediately cried. Cried for two reasons, though. One is because this is life transforming news. You're about to be, you're, I know you're a father, but you're about to have a second child. Things are about to change. But the second reason why I cried is, is I just remembered what the pregnancy test had to go through in order for the test results to come in right? (laughs) Have you ever felt so disgusted about something, your whole body contracts, you're just like, (sighs) but that's life-changing news. And the next thing that she said to me is like, listen, I don't want you to tell anybody. I want you to wait two or three months after the first trimester, and then you can tell anybody and everybody. You just gave me the best news in the world, and you're telling me to shut up about it? You know how hard that is to receive life-changing news and be asked not to say anything, That's the difference of what we're looking at. The gospel is life-changing news. And when you receive life-changing news, it's hard for anybody to tell you you can't tell nobody. You you should be compelled to share that very news. That's so, so important, right? So what is your response to the good news uh, that is life-changing? How would you respond to that? Because guess what? The, the, the God that said that he will build his church upon a rock in Matthew 16 is the same God that answers prayers for Boston today. The God that split the seas in Exodus 14 with Moses, that's the same God that's transforming lives today. The God that raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, that's the same God that's asking your sits, sitting for still, way too long body to get up and go and do missions. That's the God. Like, listen, if we have that powerful God that lived those examples before, in the back of those days, today, that's good news. That's life-changing. So what keeps us from stepping up and stepping out? It's simply because, listen, there's a difference between good and life-changing. Like, I could find a quarter on the ground and be like, this is good news. I got an extra quarter. I'm offended to be rich. <laughs> but guess what? That news isn't good enough for me to call my parents and be like, hey, hey. I'm rich. Right? Because that's not life changing. It's a quarter. Are we treating the gospel like it's a quarter? Having a child is life changing. Having a quarter isn't. Don't treat the gospel as if it's a quarter. Right? If the gospel is the catalyst to life change, then sharing it shouldn't be the issue. Getting us to shut up about it should be. Because if it's that great and it's life-changing, you're not going to get me to shut up about that. That, that should compel you. Heat check. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It would be much easier for us to embrace him, uh, embrace him sending us if we truly see and understand how good this news really is. Right? God has equipped us uniquely to use our gifts for his sake. And the question is not whether or not you're gifted, because you are. The question is, are you willing to live your calling? You got to respond to that calling first, but are you willing to live that calling? This is the least that we can do. And we'll, we'll read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll read that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what that means? That means that he died the death that we should have died in order for us to live the life that he should have lived. He, 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 he died a sinner's death so that we can live with righteousness. Does that even sound fair? But he gave that to us through grace. Are we not grateful for that? Is that not good news? You can't tell me that's not life transforming. So what keeps us from stepping up and stepping out? I understand that the gospel is not something you simply get, right? It's something that you grow deeper in throughout your entire life. So the more you grasp the things that Jesus has done in you and through you, the more compelled you are to communicate Jesus to everybody to your family, to your friends, and your workforces and schools? Do you feel compelled to do this? Where is the urgency in our response to the calling to the gospel? The the, the response to the invitation of being on missions and reconciliation? A lot of times it's because we don't love and care for our people enough or sensitive enough to the point where we respond urgently. Do you love and care for people that much? We read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3, right? Let's go on and read verses 4. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept for and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see how his response is? He heard the bad news of how Jerusalem was looking, how the people were looking. And he responded by weeping and mourning for days. When was the last time we responded like that ever? If we have the love and the care for our people in our community, just like how Nehemiah has filled the love and the care for for, for home, we would respond with urgency as well. So how do we respond when we hear something's in grave condition? When was the last time we responded like Nehemiah? Where your heart is helps dictate the kind of actions you're willing to take. So the question now is where's your heart? It's your heart for the gospel, and it's your heart for your people. Because if it is, then the urgent response comes, right? If we truly see the brokenness within our community, we have to have a sense of urgency in our response. Listen, I'm not here to make anybody feel like they're in trouble. That's not what it's about, but we have to feel troubled by this, that we're not responding the way that we should be. Our response to people says a lot about how we love people. Your response says a lot about how you love people. I'm gonna give you a, a quick uh, illustration. Say for instance, you're walking in the mall and you, see, you hear all kinds of things in the mall. You hear arguments, you hear people talking, all kinds, you hear music, right? You're walking, you hear a child crying and you turn and you look at, at the child and you see that the child's crying but they're in the presence of their parents. They, they're talking to their father. In your mind, like that's, that's no biggie, not, not a bad situation. Probably the kid fell, hurt his knee, Uh, Maybe they didn't get the Lego set that they were, you know, begging for. Maybe they're hungry. There's a lot of reasons why children cry. Now, let's say you were walking down the mall and you heard the cry and you turn to see a child crying, looking back and forth, and their parents are nowhere to be found. Now, this is no longer a no biggie situation. At this point, we, we, we respond urgently. We run up to the child, make sure that they're calm, let them know everything's going to be taken care of, and we're going to do everything within our power to make sure we reunite the child with their father. That is our goal. We respond with a sense of urgency. Are we responding the exact same way? Because guess what? That's what our community looks like. One, are we hearing the cries of our people? Are we hearing the cries of our people? A lot of times, these cries that we're talking about doesn't come in the same form. People don't knock on your door and say, bro, I need help. But guess what? If we learn to love so much the way that Jesus loves us, we will be sensitive enough to be able to pick up on the cries, whether they're subtle or not. Are we picking up on the cries of our people? And two, just like the story, right? The cries, your response to the cries becomes more serious when it's in the absence of a father. That's what our community looks like. Their cries, whether or not, we have to respond seriously because these cries are happening in the absence of a father. So just like what we responded to the child when we see that they have no parent around them and reuniting the father with the child, we have to have the exact same attitude and urgency. Our community is in need of the gospel. They're in need of Jesus. Are you responding seriously because their cries are in the absence of a father? So what's keeping us, right, especially within our urgency, to step up and step out? The cool thing about Nehemiah is that not only did he respond by mourning and praying, um, mourning and, and weeping, but he automatically went into fasting and praying right after that. And we'll read that in verses 6. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 6 says, let, our ear be, uh, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants. So not only as children of God, we're called to respond with a sense of urgency and love for our people. But we're called to be people of prayer. People that fast. So what steps and plans do we have in place where we can be that living testimony for people? Just for now. Because that's what we're called to do. What's keeping us from stepping up and stepping out? Is it because missions isn't for you? Or you don't think it is? Is it because you don't fully grasp how good and life-changing the gospel is? Or is it because our response to to mission, uh, there's a big disconnect between how we urgently respond and the the seriousness of our people's cries? There's a disconnect there because it is not matching up right now. What are the reasons that's keeping you from stepping up and stepping out? Heat check. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's any verse that I want you to remember we're leaving here today, it's that verse. Because he's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. The Father has sent him, now he's sending you. Life on missions um, is a calling to abandonment. So, what does that mean? It means it's a confession that we have to let go of all of our personal preferences in order, on, in order for us to take on this mission that God is calling us on. We have to let go of our, our, our own preferences. So what keeps us from stepping up and stepping out? Like stepping out on, on uh, up to the commission and call and uh, stepping out into the broken world, right? Uh, the goal isn't for you to go around knocking on doors, handing out pamphlets, even though I, I don't see nothing wrong with that. If anything, we may need more of that. That's not the issue at hand. My issue is this. Are you inviting people to witness and experience the transformation in your life from the gospel? Because that can speak uh, way more than us handing out some pieces of paper, allowing them to witness the transformation in your life. There's a pastor named Wayne Cordero. Um, He's out in Hawaii, and he's a pastor for New Hope Community. Um, He was at a pastor's conference, and he shared a quote that I think is really, really strong. I think that we should remember here as well. He said, you teach people what you know, uh, but you reproduce who you are. No matter how much knowledge you may have scripturally, if you're not living that transformation that, bring, that comes about from Scripture, what are we really bearing? That's really, really important to us. You teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. So you don't think you're called to teach or preach. Okay. That's cool, but le- listen let's let the gospel uh, le- let's spread the gospel by allowing people to see your transformation. If you want people to live on missions, you have to live on missions. point of the Great Commission is is not just for you to stop by your first response. The key is that you start there, and your response leads you to walk alongside someone else so they can respond to the same mission. And it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. That's when disciples make disciples. So I know what you might be saying in your head. Okay, I get it. Living Oh, you know, in, in God's glory is the aim. Joining missions is the aim. It's all about gospel intentions. But I just don't know how I'm going to find the time to have missions in my already crazy and busy life. Right? That's, a, that's something that we all say. I say it myself as well. That's the problem there. We're spending too much time trying to figure out slots and openness in order for us to inject God and missions into our life. But God is too big for that. He can't fit in a syringe where you can just plug where you want. God is too big for that. He's too great for that. We need to figure out how our lives sit in his sovereign hands. We need to figure out how our lives fit in his will. Because he's too big for us to try to squeeze anywhere. So we have to get that out of our heads. Life on mission is about intersecting the the gospel intentions into your everyday routines. So that your everyday uh, routines become gospel intentions. You have, that's super important. Mission, life on mission is about intersecting God's intentions into your everyday routine to the very point where those gospel intentions are your everyday routines. So important. Don't continue to, to, to segment and compartmentalize my life with Christ and my, my, my life with friends. We got to put it in the same bowl. For the past five or six weeks, we spent a lot of time asking that great question. How will you use what God has placed in your hands just for now? You know, we're called to be good stewards, whether it be experiences, singleness, marriage, finances, gifts, all these things that we spoke about. What are we doing with those things in order for it to point back to this mission? Because that's what it's all about. Walking on missions is not going to be easy. I will never sit here and try to fake that. It's going to be hard. We see that in Nehemiah later on in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I encourage you to go and read that as well. You think it was easy for them to go back and rebuild the wall, not only were they not you know, in position to or skilled to feel like they could build a wall, but they were opposed by many. Nobles, people came up to them at the end wanting to stop their progress, but guess what? They had to continue to build that wall with swords on their hips. You know what that meant? I am going to finish this wall no matter what. Opposition or not, they were going to finish that wall. We have a mission on hand right now. What are you willing to do to finish this mission, this... This, it ha, the work has, get to be, has to be done. In the gospel, it's, it's, it's cool because you see two things. You see the role of God and the role of people. The role of God, he says it clearly in Matthew 16. I'm upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. Whether you like it or not, my church will be built. I'm going to do that. That's the promise of God. And our role comes in the instruction of God, which is Matthew 28. Oh, we're okay with living in the promise. God's going to do that. It's a constant. Nothing's going to change. We know that's going to be there. There's security there. I want to be there. But why are we not listening to the instruction? Because that's our role. Super important. Finally, he check. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John 20, 21. And you know what the cool thing, too? At the very end of the Great Commission, if anything's going to make you feel good, it's going to be this. At the end of the Great Commission, it says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You should find peace in that. You're not doing this alone. This is God's working that he's inviting you into. It's not within your power. Find peace in that. Find peace in that. So what are you doing with everything that God's given you right now for his glory, for his mission? It's all temporary, but just for now, we're called to be stewards, invited into missions. At this time, it's a great day today. Uh, We have a friend of ours from Nepal. His name is Madan. I'm going to ask Madan to come up on stage with me today. Uh, Madan has been active. He's been active on missions as a pastor and church planter and doing great things in, in Nepal. Thank you for joining us today, Madan. Um, I figured that I haven't come on stage because if anybody could speak about missions, it would be him. right? Um, if you could just share briefly
1: uh, the kind of things that the Lord is doing with you and your team in Nepal. I came to know Christ 15 years ago. So since that day, I'm in his mission. Hmm. So he has called me to preach gospel uh, uh, for unreached people in our country. If you see our Christian history, 60, 70 years ago, in 1961, there were around 400 plus Christians in Nepal. By God's grace, now we are one of the fastest Christian growth nation in the world. Amen. We are around 1.5 million uh, people. A believer in Christ so these people has understand God's mission so they go out and preach the gospel I give you small you know the one example in 2009 we started one small outreach among students that year we reached around 350 students in four school this is Christmas outreach program in this school by God's grace last year we reached 80,000 plus students across the nation Including some of the Muslim mothers, so this is our mission. We are called to do that. Mm. So these are the things I'm part of his mission. Praise God! Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging?
0: Uh, now, Madan, what kind of advice would you be able to give us uh, in regards to those that are maybe struggling with the, you know, response to the call to missions? Like, what can you uh, can you give us?
1: I think you know the. As Bible said, wherever He is sending us, we have to be faithful mm-hmm. and obey. And then I believe, you know, you know, the wherever you are, that is your mission field. Mm-hmm. But you need to glorify God, you need to be salt and light on that area. So that way God can use you. And especially in our context, sometimes we think mission work is only serving you know, in the church serving in the Christian organization or ministry. But what I believe, wherever God has kept us, that is our mission area. But we have to you know, obey his commandment. Bible says if we love him, we obey his commandment. Mm. His commandment is go and preach the gospel, make a disciple. So that's you know, the, my advice to you, be faithful. Wherever he's sending you, just obey.
0: Absolutely, that's, that's key. Um, we see that Madan doing his work, uh, you know, back in Nepal. It's the same thing that here. God calls you to be a pillar and, and a light and a salt of the world where you stand. So my question is, is, when you go on to your normal life, where are you standing? Whether it be in your workplace, whether it be at schools, how are we living missions in those particular places? Because we're called to abide by that, just like He said. Right? We're called to abide by that. And so Madan, like, what? What can we pray for you about in regards to your team and the things that are going on?
1: Since uh, Christianity is growing very fast in our country, our country, our government has uh, passed the anti-conversion law, which is saying if you are preaching gospel, you might send jail for five years, fifty thousand rupees penalty. But we believe we are not under that law. We believe we are mm. under heavenly law. Because of that, you know that we are active in evangelism, still. Church is taking that initiative. You can pray for that. And some other uh, request. you know, the, since we are doing a lot of outreach among the students, this year we want to distribute children's Bible around mm-hmm. uh, 7,000 students across the nation. Some of the Bible will go to Muslim mothers also. you can pray for that. And another thing, uh, there are a lot of trafficking problems. So we have, you know, uh, a small home for goal. So we want to thank this church actually and mm-hmm. Pastor Jason. Uh, he's involved in that area, so you can pray for that, you know, Absolutely. the gulls' home also. So we can able to rescue more gulls, and then, you know, we can raise them in Christ hmm. and send them, you know, on the mission.
0: Absolutely. We have to realize the context here. In Nepal, they're not even able to preach the good news in public, say Jesus' name in public, without being jailed or fined. Here, we have the, uh, the freedom to live on missions and speak about missions. Yet we keep our mouths shut and we sit in our chairs. We're given that opportunity to be on missions where his heart led dictated the bold actions he was able and willing to take. How
1: bold are we willing to get?